You're listening to the Absolutely Cosmic Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentle frog, to the Absolutely Cosmic Podcast, where we talk anything self-improvement from the nerdy perspective. I'm your host, Joshua Salgado, and today we'll be talking about something that's extremely important and I think is talked about a lot, but is used just for views, how to change and improve your fitness. With the new year comes new me, I hate that saying, but the truth is, is a lot of people have these fitness goals and they don't know how to get there. They don't know the basics, the bare minimums that they should use to be able to get there. So this is going to be jam-packed with a lot of content. We're going to go from the mindset to the basic understanding of calorie consumption and nutrition from a very basic rudimentary perspective. And then finally, we're going to talk about some of the tools that I utilize to be able to consistently gain muscle on a bulk, as well as remain kind of lean, but also on my cuts, lose fat relatively fast and be able to still maintain, again, maintain your muscle mass because that is the key. If you're gaining lean mass, you want to maintain that, right? Everyone wants to have a little bit more muscle on their frame, whether it's for strength, whether it's for look just looking good or a little bit of both, right? So that is the important part. And with more muscle mass, lead, muscle mass leads to being a much more healthy individual and a much more capable individual, which in terms of self-improvement are very valuable. So let's touch upon some of the mindset that you need to carry and, and what is important. So first of all, I have a formula that I've written out. Uh, repeated action over a period of time equals an increased result. Why is this so important? Because if you follow that formula, you will get somewhere eventually. You it, it, Repeated action over a period of time equals increased results. So if you look at it from a fitness perspective, you look at it from a life perspective, whatever it is, right? You look at it from that perspective, it's the truth. You will gain and you will increase. You will get better at something over a period of time if you're repeating your action, right? Again, I, I, I had a conversation with a chaplain actually quite a few months ago, and he said that it's not the potter, potterer, the, the pottery maker who makes, you know, one or two perfect um, pots, right? Perfect vases, right? In a day, it's it's the potter or the pottery maker who makes 10 and, and you know, goes through and just, you know, every 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 pottery uh, piece, he gets a little bit better. He, he knows how to do something a little bit different. He challenges himself just a little bit each time. It's not the person who tries to strive for, for perfection once or twice, but the person who's willing to go and repeatedly perform those actions over a period of time to get that increased result. So that is the key. And that is leading into my next segment, uh, consistency. So why is consistency so important? So as kind of the formula ties in, if you can remain consistent, right? Fitness is a long-term journey. You're, unfortunately for all you folks who think this is a get, get fit quick scheme, you're going to have to do this for the rest of your life to be able to continually gain goals as well as maintain, depending on what your goals are for that season of life, right? So that is the ultimate key is consistency, repeated action over a period of time equals increased result. Again, you're, you're asking me, well, I hate training. I hate working out. I, I don't share that with you, but there's aspects and there's days where I don't want to do it. And what, what are some things that I do personally within my mind or setting myself up from a mindset perspective to be able to go work out you know, almost every day, six days a week, five, six days a week? 
Well, first of all, you want to look at it from perspective, make it easier on yourself to actually perform these actions, right? To actually get into the gym or to eat better, right? If you know that you're not going to wake up early at 4am and go work out or go on a run or whatever it is, right? Then don't wake up at 4am, do it at a time that you know, if you know that if you stop home after work before the gym, and to grab your clothes that you're not going to leave your house after that, then don't do that. Bring your clothes to work and leave it in your car in a gym bag or whatever. Things like that. If you know that you're not going to do your cardio at the end of your workout, then do it at the beginning. A lot of people are probably, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this because people are like, well, yeah, then if you do your cardio at the beginning, you're not going to, you're not going to get the gains. Listen to me. I understand that you may wear yourself out. You may you know, because you're putting so much energy into the beginning, you may get some fatigue when you go to your weight training. But the reality is this, again, that if your goal is to hit your cardio, right, and weight train, but you know that if you weight train first, you're not going to get your cardio, I'd rather hit both of my daily goals of, of doing my cardio and weight training and maybe not be able to lift, you know, as intensely, right? But you're, here's the thing is intensity is subjective for the day, right? That's another mindset. Every day, you're not going to be able to just go balls to the wall, freaking be like a freaking, you know, buffalo and, and, and lift 5,000 pounds. I doubt any human can actually lift 5,000 pounds. But you know what I'm saying? The intensity level is going to be subjective for that day at the gym. If you've trained, you know, five days and it's your sixth day in the gym and your body's sore, maybe go to the gym, maybe hit your workout, but don't go so you know, go to where you can handle. Don't hurt yourself. You know what I mean? You're not going to be able to maybe hit a PR. You might, who knows? But you, you biologically, you might not be able to hit that PR because you're already fatigued. Maybe it's just a cardio and stretch day if you're really beat up. You know what I mean? So that is also the key. So make it easy on yourself. Find a way to actually get into the gym. Find a way to actually eat better. If you know that you're not going to you know, stick to a diet because you got a lot of sweets in the house or, or whatever it is that's your weakness, ice cream or candies or, or cookies, right? Throw those out. Give them to somebody. Give them to somebody who doesn't care about their, their fucking health, right? That's the key, honestly. That is the honest to God key is just make it easy on yourself because in life, we're already being pulled eight different directions. And a lot of times when we start to get uncomfortable, by our own hand, right? If, if I'm trying to improve myself and I'm saying I'm going to consciously improve myself, whether it's fitness or any, any other uh, pillar of life, right? If I'm going to improve myself, right? I'm consciously making this, the decision to get uncomfortable and to get into that point of where you may or may not fail, where it may take some learning curves, right? So you're more likely to back out out of that than say, if, if you're mandated or obligated to go do something that makes you uncomfortable or grow as a person, right? If that makes sense. So again, make it easy on yourself in that way. That's kind of a hack. It's like, if you know you're not going to go to the gym after work, if you stop home to get your gym clothes, then bring your gym clothes with you, bring your water bottle with you, bring your headphones with you and, and get in a habit of that, right? If you know that you're not going to eat breakfast, but you, you're trying to gain muscle and those extra calories are really going to help you out, right? You're trying to gain weight um, and you need breakfast, obviously, to gain weight, right? And we'll get into it. But what we'll simplify it, but you need that extra meal for extra calories, right? So that you can consistently keep in a surplus. Then guess what? Maybe set the day up the night before with whatever it is that you need to cook or maybe cook something or make a sandwich the night before for breakfast. You know what I mean? Find a way to hack the system so that you can get to your goals efficiently. You're still doing the work. You're still staying disciplined, but you're finding a way to hack your own mind 
to actually get to your goals, right? To keep yourself accountable so that you can't weasel your way out. You can't fail, right? You can't have a day where you, you, you binge, right? Because you gave away all your sweets and you've just been, you know, meal prepping, right? That's what, that's, that is a key mindset is just make it easy for yourself on a consistent base and get habitual about it. Consistent habits. All right. So I've rambled enough about mindset. What I think we're going to get into is calories, how to count calories, you know, what's protein, what is a carb, what is a fat uh, at a basic rudimentary level, and then how to kind of hack the system with that, right? All right. So I'm sure you've heard it by now from everyone and your, your neighbor's dog, but maintenance calories, right? Maintenance calories is very important to understand because this is how you're going to gain or lose weight depending on what your goals are. Maintenance calories are the basic, basic, like flatline amount of calories, amount of food that you need to intake for your body to function without any other additional exercise or activity. So that is if I were to lay in bed all day and just literally do nothing, just literally be alive. That is literally the calories you need to be alive. Now, if you, if you fast for a day, you're not going to die. But that to keep it simple, that is the basic amount of calories that you need to sustain at your weight, right? For your organs to function properly, for everything like that. For me, what has worked to figure out my maintenance calories, and this is for me a very easy, basic way, I mean, it works, it works, is you take your current weight and you multiply that by nine. That is what your, your body needs to sustain, right? That weight that you're at. So we're going to do some quick math. I'm 198 as of yesterday, times that by nine. And I got about uh, 17, uh, 1,782 calories. So that's about how much I need for my body to just stay at the same weight. So if you go above that by any means, 50, 100, 500 calories above, you're going to gain weight. At some point, it may take a little bit of time and it'll. We'll, this will devolve into the next segment real quick. But no matter how much you go above, you will gain, gain weight at some point. It may take a little bit, but same thing. No matter how much you go below, 50, 100, 500, you will still lose weight because that is the amount of calories that you need at a baseline maintenance. Think about that as the bare minimum that you need, right? To function. All right. So from there, why is it that some people will go into a higher surplus or a higher deficit or can can you know lose weight at only a 100 calorie deficit? Well, first of all, again, repeated action over a period of time, right? Time is your best asset, is your best tool in life. But when it comes to fitness, excuse me, utilizing time rather than sheer just freaking bull, bull, you know, bull in a China shop mentality, using time to be able to get to your goals and chipping away, right? The great sculptors of ancient Greece did not, you know, just slam their hammer really hard or knock the granite over really hard to chip a bunch away to get this beautiful sculpture. They chipped slowly. They did their little, you know, they did their little art things, right? As they went, they did not just, you know, all in one right hit, right? So time is your best asset, so keep your deficit or your surplus small to minimize muscle loss and to minimize fat gain, right? So for me personally, I don't ever really go up a five over a 500 calorie deficit unless it's like a 
uh, extreme mini cut that I will do during a bulk or something like that, just to kind of, and it's more or less just to give my digestion, my, my gut a little bit of a break because usually to get to anything above 500, I have to fast. All right. But I digress. So the next segment that I was uh, referencing earlier, why is it that some people, you know, take longer than others? Well, if you have, if I have a 500 calorie deficit, if I do that for seven days, theoretically, I should lose one pound of fat because a fat, a pound of fat is worth about 3,500 calories. So if you're in a 500 calorie deficit, you should lose theoretically about one pound of fat if you're in a 500 calorie deficit per day. Now, here's the thing. I mentioned over a period of seven days, right? Why did I mention that? Because some people, and this is where calories are really cool, is that you can utilize weekly caloric intake. So if I take my set 1,782 times seven, I need about 12,474 calories to be able to maintain my weight per week. Right. If you start looking at it again as a time asset. So if one day I eat 3000 calories, I would just have to be in a deficit for the rest of the days to maintain, right? Um, and not gain anything, right? So that is how you can start thinking. If I know that I want one cheat day a week and I, it's going to be maybe a cookie or something or, or, or an extra meal or, even if you want to ball out and like double your daily intake of calories, then you'd have to fast a day. Now, I don't recommend that, but for the sake of just basic mathematics, right? Not getting into any of the weeds that may make this controversial and someone's going to make a freaking, you know, this influencer's stupid kind of piece. The key is this. Utilizing time and utilizing your calories kind of go hand in hand. Think about it from a weekly perspective. Think about it from a monthly perspective. You know, weeks lead into months, months lead into years, years leads into decades, decades leads into centuries. You know what I mean? So think about it from a longer term perspective. If I'm in a caloric deficit weekly and I lose about a thousand calories weekly, you know, I may not lose one pound of fat per week, but the slower the fat loss, the more easily muscle retention is. And so here's the digression. If you're above 15, you're at like your 20, or if you're 20 above or above, focus on fat loss. Focus on being a little more aggressive on losing weight. Now, don't go to the extreme where you can't function daily, but if you can do extra exercise, you can do uh, you know, a little bit heavier, a little bit more intense weight training, do that to burn a little bit more calories. If you can eat better and and stay at that main, you know, 500 below that maintenance calorie and do an extra few hundred calories in cardio. And then your weight training is going to be a few hundred calories, a few hundred calories, potentially you will start to see results, right? Really muscle loss is more focused for the people that are 20% and below. And then especially for the people that are 15% and below. Well, yes, you want to be worried about that. You know, when I started my cut a few weeks ago, um, or more than that, a few months ago, I was at about 25. 5% body fat. So I wasn't too worried about losing muscle because either way, even if I fasted, which I was utilizing that, which we'll get into later, even if I was fasting, I was still uh, using that. I was using that extra calorie loss and I wasn't really losing muscle. Um, and it's different for everybody. Again, if you have a faster metabolism, you burn fat a lot faster, you might have to be a little more weary and, and, and careful. And that's where experimenting with your uh, nutrition kind of comes in. So yes. So we'll get into it. So just for uh, shits and giggles, um, I would like to 
go over how many calories per macronutrient, and then we'll define what a macronutrient is. So you have four calories per one gram of protein, you have nine calories per one gram of fat, and you have four calories per one gram of carbohydrates. Now, those are your three main energy sources, which other, other than that, that's known as a macro. So your macronutrients are your main energy sources that your body utilizes for the most important functions, right? Your micronutrients, think of it like your vitamins, think of it like your minerals, think of it of like your electrolytes, things like that, that aid in the function that'll enhance the function of your body. Um, but they're not necessarily required to live. Like if I don't have, you know, my macronutrients for a a certain period of time, I will eventually die. Whereas if I have my micronutrients, you can go a lot longer. You might start having medical issues. You might start being kind of feeling crappy if you start losing your micronutrients. But those aren't necessarily required to survive. You know what I mean? So why is this important? Enable muscle building, right? Um, or enable the right nutrients for your body. And again, play with it to see what works. But for me personally, I stick to one gram per pound of body weight or about 200 grams a day of protein. And then I basically fill in the rest of my calories with, you know, I fill in the rest of my calories with whatever else. If I eat a lot of red meat, that's pretty fatty. So I usually get my fat intake there pretty well. And then carbs, I just fill it in whatever uh, calories are left over. To lose weight, focus on the calories. If you want to uh, gain muscle, focus on the calories. But at the end of the day, if I eat 1,700 calories versus of Twinkies versus 1,700 calories of a balanced diet with animal proteins, uh, carbohydrates, and a good amount of healthy fats, my performance is going to be better, which means I'm going to have a better ability to engage those muscles, as well as if I'm, my performance is better, I'm more likely to have more intense, uh, more calorie-burning workout, right? So you can see where I'm getting at, right? Calories in, calories out to lose or gain weight. Like that's the key. But you're not going to gain weight or, well, you will gain weight, but you're not going to gain muscle eating, you know, 1,800 calories at a 1,700 uh, calorie maintenance, uh, if that makes sense. And, you know, a 100 calorie surplus of Twinkies is not going to help you gain muscle unless you're already hitting, you know, your maintenance calories of what you need to eat and that extra 100, you just need something to help you get there, right? So that's the key. That is the ultimate key that that is the ultimate key that you should be looking into uh, from that perspective. So let's go into some of the tools that I utilize to be able to get better workouts, to be able to uh, challenge myself, and to be able to be stay in a calorie deficit. So when I'm in a cut, uh, usually I engage in a lot of cardio. Right? I don't recommend that. I'm just an idiot. The key is what you should do. Do as I say, not as I do. No, I do. I know that cardio training is good for you, um, and I don't do it when I'm on a bulk as much because I'm trying to gain muscle. So it's kind of that's kind of the dichotomy of why I do it more when I'm on a cup, kind of catch up for lost time, you know. Whoa! So one tool that I use is intermittent fasting, and we can go into it as much as you'd like. But I think the most important thing to understand is that intermittent fasting is a way to stay in a caloric deficit. It gives your stomach and digestion, you know, your intestines and stuff, a break from digesting so much food for that period of time. So you're reducing a little bit of inflammation right there, right? You're reducing a little bit of your body's need to work that intensely constantly in the from the digestion. So that bloat, uh, but... Um, you're mainly in a caloric deficit, and that's the key. You're in a caloric deficit for a longer period of time. Um, and then 
you know, it's harder to eat if you eat like one meal a day, let's say it's harder to eat, you know, 5,000 calories in one meal than it is to eat throughout the whole day picking at things. You know what I mean? Um, there is some benefits to intermittent fasting, uh, things like autophagy, which there's limited research right now, but the research that they do have is showing that this autophagy is actually um, really good, potentially cancer reducing or preventing um, bodily functions. Um, so that's really good. Uh, autophagy also kind of just clears up the damaged, broken down cells or incomplete cells and proteins within your body. And that kind of kicks in around, if I'm not mistaken, the 12 to 16 mark. And then after 24 hours, let's say you do a 48 to 72 hour fast, uh, which is like elite, that's really hard to do. You start to really kick into that. Uh, you also start to get into ketosis uh, during intermittent fasting, um, which will help you start to burn fat as a primary energy source um, as well. And then additionally, your growth hormone will spike and it will sustain relatively spiked over that period of time, a little bit after, a few hours after. So let's say that you are working out and you do eat, you're going to be a little bit more keen to actually gaining muscle or at least retaining the muscle that you would have potentially lost. And again, if you go long enough without eating, you will start to lose fat or excuse me, you still, yeah, you will start to lose muscle. So it's not like something that you want to do like a whole week of, of fasting. Um, you want to do this maybe like a 16, 18, I do 24 hours oftentimes. Um, and if you just do that repeatedly, you know, you do 20 hour fast, um, when four hour eating window, reset the clock um, and do that over and over again, you will start to gain, lose fat, potentially uh, get those benefits, right? Um, over a period of time, right? And it's sustainable relatively. Additionally, one last function uh, that you get, and this actually happens from a caloric deficit in general, but I think it's more likely, uh, it's much more enhanced from a perspective of, from the perspective of intermittent fasting. Uh, when you when you go to bear with me, I just lost my train of thought. Insulin sensitivity. So intermittent fasting um, helps that quite intensely. Uh, so insulin sensitivity is very important because when you are insulin resistant, right? That's almost like pre diabetic That's like the pre to pre diabetic, right? It requires much more insulin for your body to break down glucose, which means you're not as anabolic. Your muscles can't readily use them and they're more likely to go into the fat stores. But if you're have a higher level of insulin sensitivity, which can be achieved from a caloric deficit over a period of time and staying within a good weight range. Um, as well, intermittent fasting is a good way, an excellent way to increase that your body, excuse me, is more likely to burn uh, glucose directly to the muscle. It's more likely to be sent directly as, and uh, it's more likely to be sent directly and be transformed into glycogen, which is the immediate energy stores in your muscle uh, when you're uh, insulin sensitive. Think about glycogen. Have you ever like just been at the gym and had a good pump? You, you start working out, you start doing some pushups and your muscles feel nice and tight and you feel full, your muscles feel full and then and, and like fully I don't even know how to explain it, I guess, from the feeling perspective. You just feel much more full um, and you look a little bit more uh, puffed out in the muscle section, right? That is what you would call, you know, having good glycogen stores. Uh, that's what they say, like carb up before you do like a marathon or something because you want to build up those uh, stores within your muscles and then a little bit extra, right? But going back to the uh, intermittent fasting piece, um, you are 
increasing insulin sensitivity. You are destroying all the junk in your body, right, from the autophagy. You're in a caloric deficit for a long period of time. And then you do have a spike in growth hormone, um, which is always good because not only that, you may retain muscle most likely. That's what it's for. But it may actually help you when you go back into your refeed and your training to help increase muscle development. And that that is definite. Um, sleep is an excellent, is a very important, and it's an excellent tool because sleep is how we recover. It's how we, we beat our bodies up in the gym. We beat our bodies up with training, and then you you got to go to sleep. It's a recovery process. So trying to get the most uh, deep REM sleep will help you just recover better, um, and you're not going to feel fatigued. I've noticed personally that if I'm working out intensely, I usually want to take a nap a few hours after my workout, but then additionally, I also... You know, if I can't sleep very well and I'm trying to train intensity, my ability to work out in the gym uh, reduces, my progress over months reduces. So that is really important. Workout-wise, some of the tools that I use, I utilize supersetting. Like every workout that I do, I utilize supersetting. For instance, yesterday I was doing the hack squat um, or the V-squat hammer strength machine. Um, And I realized that I got to say you save on time as well as you save on intensity because more think about it you're you're packing more and workout more challenge more exercise into a shorter period of time so you're challenging so my rest period so i would go i started off doing uh, three sets of 12 and then went to three sets of 10 and then went to three sets of five and then i went to three sets working up to a pr um, so in between all of those, except for yeah, actually in between all of those, I was doing hammer curls on the, uh, the mini barbells that they have at the gym. Um, and you're going to be like, well, that makes no sense. You know, legs and biceps. What I was trying to get at essentially was peripheral heart action, essentially working two muscle groups in two totally different parts of the body. There's some theory that that could increase your circulation because your body is trying to get, essentially you're trying to get a pump in two different parts of your body so your blood's moving, right? Um, As well as I'm just burning more calories because every rest, before I get to rest between every set, I have to do an extra exercise while I'm already fatigued. And then additionally, you know, I can save time, right? If I'm doing a 12-set exercise, right, you know, I have plenty of time to hit a few other things. Um, again, also what I like to do is my warmups, I'll do calisthenics. Why do I do that? One, because I'm priming my body, I'm warming up, I'm getting the blood flow going, I'm, I'm you know, building up, you know, but I'm also pre-fatiguing. And here's here's a tool that I use additionally from just pre-fatigue. What I do personally is if I know that I'm gonna hit a large compound movement like a deadlift, I will go and do lat pulldowns and seated cable rows before. I hit my deadlift and you're, again, I'm going to get a lot of people hitting me. Oh my God, Josh, that makes no sense because now you can't go as hard on the deadlift. Every, you know, here's the thing. It's not just about freaking pulling weights and going freaking ham on everything. Sometimes you got to be a little more strategic on how you engage your muscle. What you need to think about it is that if I can pre-fatigue my lacking areas, right? And this, I guess, is more from a hypertrophic standpoint, is that if I can engage those muscles from a like earlier uh, way, right? Fatigue those muscles before I get to larger compound lift. Not only am I challenging and training those muscles isolated, but then when I go to a compound multi-muscle, multi-motion lift, right? I'm 
already pre-fatigued. I'm already having the pump and vascularity in those muscles, right? So I'm more likely to get better training than just having them as a secondary exercise. Another good exercise, I guess, set is like, for me, I have extremely small calves because I was born bilateral club feet, had surgery on them, which kind of lengthened and uh, stretched them out, right? So I have really, really small calves and I'm trying to work on it on the leg days. But what I, what I've found that I engage my muscles much better is that what I will do is I will do hamstring curl and then I'll do RDLs, which are just straight legged deadlifts with dumbbells just to get that dynamic stretch. And I superset those. And then my second exercise will be calf raises till failure on a seated calf raise machine because due to my feet and mobility, I can't really get on my tiptoes very well. So I utilize that. And then from there, I will go and do my squats or go do a compound lift like a leg press or something. Mainly focus on, on, on quadriceps, which are your thigh muscles. Again, because I've already pre-fatigued the um, muscle systems, if you call it, within the calves and then within the hamstrings, those two systems, the back of your leg complex, essentially, are getting hit while you're doing your squats. And they may be, they're getting hit harder than they would if I just went straight and flipped the training program around. And I've come to this conclusion without having to write down, without having to have this formulated program. I just realized that if I go to the gym, I'm going to get a better workout doing it this way. It may not work for you, but if you want to try that, if you're plateauing in the gym, I mean, those squats, those deadlifts, those whatever compound movements that I hit afterwards have been some of the most challenging. I can't go up in that weight, so it's a fight. And I'm able to do those compound lifts and, and you know, really hammer down those muscle, larger muscle groups as well as hitting those small ones. And I've seen a lot of growth like that. And I've just, again, hit those muscles a lot harder. And I feel like it kind of saves time because now I'm, I'm, you know, getting the training from those accessory movements and I'm kind of multiplying it within my compound movements. Um, and again, it may be bro science. This is essentially bro science because this is what's worked for me, but I be strongly believe in pre-fatiguing. You're lacking muscles, right? Within an accessory workout with a compound stretch or a dynamic stretch, excuse me. And then going into your larger compound movements that are going to challenge the larger muscle groups uh, or a different muscle group within that, you know, pull day, right? Or that uh, split day. Again, like, again, think about it super or supersetting. Um, if I'm doing lat pull downs, I'm going to go do pull ups. And I've noticed that my pull ups have increased the quality in form as well as in my ability to do more pull ups whenever I do lat pull downs and seated cable rows and then go do pull ups as a superset in between each of those main resistance training sets. So really play with supersetting, but as well pre fatiguing these smaller muscle groups before you get into larger compound movements. It's really going to help you um, essentially get in and out of the gym. It's going to help you get a more intense workout without having to be a freaking, uh, you know, a freaking ox lifting heavy weight. And it, again, depending on your goals, but I've noticed that my strength has increased when I focus on those lacking muscles because now those lacking muscles are less likely to do something called synergistic dominance, which means another muscle group is taking over for what should be that lacking muscle group because it's not strong enough or it's not uh, malleable enough, stretchable enough, essentially flexible enough. So again, working out is always an experiment and it should be optimized for each person. Personal trainers that I know from big box gyms will give a blanket training program to a lot of their clients sometimes. 
Um, and the good ones are the ones that go in and say, okay, we're going to, we'll start with a blanket one that works for most people, like, you know, generally, but then we're going to optimize it for you and your specific condition of life, right? Because if I go in and I'm trying to work my calves, right? And I can't, I don't have the limitation to stand up on my toes. Standing calf raises aren't going to be effective for me because I can't get a good enough range of motion. So we have to, you know, inter interchange certain exercises. Whereas someone else who has great mobility in their ankles and in their calves are going to be able to utilize a standing calf raise perfectly fine. Um, that's just a personal example of what I, you know, have come to a conclusion by. Again, so it's an experiment. Optimize your training programs, your nutrition, and just see how it works. Do, do things for three weeks. Maintain an exercise program for three, four, six weeks um, and see how it goes. See, are you noticing that you're gaining muscle? Are you noticing that you're gaining strength? Then maybe that philosophy that you're using or that uh, program idea that you're using will work for other parts of your body. Or maybe it won't. And then ultimately, just again, we're going to repeat this last formula. Repeated action over a period of time equals increased result. Thank you for listening. Consider absolutely smashing the subscribe button for more content like this.